power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to our church. We're glad you're here. Or maybe today's the first time in a long time. In that case, uh, welcome back home. Uh, we're glad you're back. Uh, this fall, we've been studying the book of Galatians, and we've been calling the sermon series Getting the Gospel Right, and today we finish and conclude uh, the series. And, and the goal of this series has been to, to do two things. One, to, to get the gospel right so that we can walk in line with the truth of the gospel, because when we do those two things, we experience the freedom and the fruitfulness of the gospel by the power of the gospel for the joy of our own hearts and for the good of our neighbors, all to the glory of God. And the title of the last sermon in this series is Sowing and Reaping. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 6 to 10. And as the Apostle Paul brings his letter to a close, he leaves us with his final instructions, his final exhortations, his final directives. So starting from verse 6, people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And do not be deceived. God is not mocked for Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, but in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as we conclude our study of Galatians, we come to these final instructions, final exhortations from the Apostle Paul. First, support your pastors. Second, sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh. And third, sow to doing good. Let's start with the first exhortation. The first exhortation, which is simply support your pastors. <clears throat> I'll be honest, I feel a little awkward talking about this because it feels very self-serving for me to tell you to support your pastors because I'm one of your pastors and I, direct, and I directly benefit if you obey this command. But my job as your pastor is to faithfully teach and explain and apply the word of God for your spiritual benefit, even if it means at times I feel a little uncomfortable because I don't want to appear self-serving. But the truth is, this is not my instruction. This is not my exhortation. This is the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ given through his apostle, the apostle Paul. But I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I appreciate and love this command. I do. Just as a wife appreciates and loves the command for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Just as husbands appreciate and love the command for wives to respect their husbands, right? You see, it's good for the health and the welfare of the family when husbands and wives obey these commands to love and to respect one another. 
And in the same way in the church family, uh, it is good for the health and, and the welfare of the church family when members obey uh, the command to support their pastors and pastors obey the command to teach the word of God to the members of the church. Verse 6 says this, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, the one who is taught the word refers to the members of the church, and the one who teaches refers to the pastors of the church. And our text today instructs and, and, and directs and exhorts the members of the church to share all good things with their pastors. Now, all good things uh, refers to support, to both emotional support and financial support. Uh, emotional support is the gift of your encouragement, the gift of your appreciation, the gift of your prayers, the gift of your humility to listen to and to learn from your pastors. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we get further insight into what the relationship ought to be between the pastors, the leaders of the church, and the members of the church. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Emotional support includes the gift of your obedience and your submission insofar as what the pastors teach is true and faithful to God's word. And, and, and so your emotional support allows the pastors and the elders of the church to do their work of keeping watch over your souls with joy because it would be of no advantage to you if we did our work with groaning and with dread. Now, in addition to emotional support, the members of the church are also to give their financial support. Financial support is simply the gift of your money uh, so that pastors can care for themselves and provide for their families. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul said that the church is to financially support their pastors. He wrote this. In the same way, the Lord commanded. He didn't suggest. He didn't recommend. But the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It is the will of our Lord Jesus Christ that pastors who preach the gospel should earn their livelihood from the gospel, that pastors should be supported financially by those who receive and are benefited through their preaching of the word, of the gospel. So the Bible instructs the members of the church to, uh, to provide both types of support because both types of support are, are important. Think about this. If you just give your emotional support, but not your financial support, the pastors are able to do their job with joy, but they won't be able to provide for themselves or, or to care for themselves, and pastors cannot last. But if you just give your financial support, but not your emotional support, the pastors will be well provided for, but they'll do their work with groaning and with dread, and they won't last as well. And it's not good for the church if pastors cannot last in the ministry. So it's not an either-or, but a both-and. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with those who teach the word, and that includes both emotional support and financial support because both types of support are good things. You see, when the pastors work hard at teaching the word, 
And when the members uh, generously support the pastors in their work, both emotionally and financially, that's when the church will be healthiest and the most fruitful. If you're a member of this church, if you consider this church to be your spiritual family, and if you and your family have benefited from the ministry of the word at our church, then would you consider, if you're not already, joyfully and generously supporting the pastors and the staff of this church, not only with your emotional support, but also with your financial support? You know, some of you see church as a place where you can come to get as much free stuff and free services as you can. Some of you have a consumer's mindset when you come to church. You come to receive, to take, and to consume as much as you can. You think it's the best bargain in town. I don't have to pay for a thing at this church. Everything's for free. And you behave like an adolescent consumer. If that describes you today, could I humbly ask you to reconsider your mindset? And to adopt a contributor's mindset, a mindset where you're willing to give, to invest, and and, and to contribute for the sake of the ministry of our church, for the sake of the flourishing of our church. You know, our church family will be healthiest and the most fruitful when members are not only receiving and benefiting from the ministries of our church, but also generously supporting those who lead those ministries with both your financial and your emotional support. This is how the Lord Jesus designed for his church to operate. There is no other way for the church to operate. This is the will of our Lord Jesus when it comes to the relationship between pastors and the members of the church. So that's the first instruction that we find in our text. Support your pastors with both your emotional support and your financial support. Let's look at the second instruction. Sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. In verse 7, the apostle Paul states the principle of sowing and reaping. He says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. In farming, this is an absolute principle, and Paul wants us to see two aspects of this principle. First, whatever you sow, that you will reap. If you sow tomato seeds, then you will reap tomatoes. No matter how much you may want corn, no matter how much you may pray for corn, you will not get corn if you plant or sow tomato seeds. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. I want you to think about this. The harvest is not determined by the reapers, but by the sowers. The sowers and the kind of seed they sow will determine the kind of harvest you get, whether it's a harvest of corn or a harvest of tomatoes. That's obvious. None of us are farmers, but you don't have to be a farmer to understand that principle, right? It makes intuitive sense. Here's the second aspect. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Though the seed that you sowed may be in the ground a long time, though it may seem like nothing's happening, but in due time, eventually, the seed that you sowed will bear fruit in due time. You see, whatever you sow in the spring, you will reap in the fall. Whatever you sow... You will reap. It's just a matter of time. And as we're going to see, this is both good news and bad news. 
And this principle is so certain, the Apostle Paul says that to think otherwise is to deceive yourself and to mock God. If you think you can sow tomato seeds and yet reap corn, then you deceive yourself. You mock God. And this principle of sowing and reaping doesn't just apply to farming, but it also applies to our spiritual lives. Verse 8 says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the flesh, then you will reap corruption. And to think that you can sow to your flesh and yet not reap corruption is to be a fool. You deceive yourself and you mock God. So what does it mean to sow to your flesh? What does it mean to reap corruption? Well, to sow to the flesh means to practice the works of the flesh, which the Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5. There in verses 19 to 21, he says, he wrote this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, if you sow to the flesh, if you do, if you practice the works of the flesh, then you will reap corruption. What does corruption mean here? Corruption here means disintegration. It means when, some, when things uh, unravel and begin to fall apart. You see, if you practice the works of the flesh, you will reap corruption. Every part of you will unravel and fall apart. Your relationship with God will unravel and fall apart. Your relationship with yourself will unravel and fall apart. Your relationship with others will unravel and fall apart. You're, you see, if you sow to the flesh, if you practice the works of the flesh, then you will reap corruption in every way. Let me give you an example. If you sow to sexual immorality, if you practice viewing pornography, if you practice having sex before marriage or outside of marriage, you will reap corruption. Your relationship with God will fall apart. You'll run from God. You'll want to hide from God. In fact, you may even wish that God doesn't exist because you can't stand the guilt. And you'll struggle with guilt and shame and self-loathing. Uh, it will deform and mess up your view of healthy sexuality. It will harm how you relate to the opposite sex. And it will cause your marriage to get corrupted. Your marriage will unravel and fall apart if you practice sexual immorality. And to think that you won't reap corruption is you're a fool. You deceive yourself and you mock God. Let me give you another example. If you sow to enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, division, and envy, if you practice hating and resenting people, 
If you practice holding grudges and not forgiving people, if you practice cutting people off because they wronged you or failed you in some way, if you practice being selfish and controlling, you will reap corruption. Your relationship with God will suffer. And you will become a toxic and bitter person that nobody wants to be around. And you will end up ruining, poisoning, or losing all of your relationships. You may end up in a marriage with a spouse who doesn't love you but is stuck with you. You may end up with adult children who resent you and don't want to be around you. You may end up losing your friends who no longer want to be around you and your toxicity. You see, if you flow, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. And if you think you can sow to your flesh and not reap corruption, if you think you can sow to the flesh and have a vibrant spiritual life, a joy, you're a fool. You deceive yourself. You mock God. For God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. There are consequences to what we do. At the same time, our text says in verse 8 that if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. Verse 8 says this, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now to sow to the Spirit means to practice the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh uh, with its passions and desires. You see, if you sow to the Spirit, if you practice the fruit of the Spirit, if you practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and goodness, and self-control, you will reap eternal life. Now, lest we get confused here, um, that does not mean that you earn salvation or that you earn eternal life by practicing the fruit of the Spirit. From all of Paul's letters, and especially from Galatians, we learned previously that we receive salvation, we receive eternal life as a gift through faith alone in the work of Christ alone. That is how we receive the gift of salvation and eternal life. So in this context, when Paul says to reap eternal life, what he means is that you will experience the joy and the fullness of communion and fellowship with God. In the Gospel of John, we learn that eternal life is what? Eternal life is to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ. So to reap eternal life means to experience the fullness of love and joy that comes from having communion, intimate communion and fellowship with God and with Christ. And Paul says that if you sow to the Spirit, if you practice the fruit of the Spirit, then you will reap eternal life. You will reap a clear and joyful conscience before God, which is priceless. And you will reap a sense of God's presence with you and a sense of his pleasure and delight over you, which is priceless. And you will reap 
good and healthy relationships with, with, with others as you will be a source of love and blessing to others. You see, when you practice the fruit of the Spirit, when you resemble and reflect Jesus, people will be drawn to you and you will live in healthy and loving relationships with the people in your life. Let's do a thought exercise. I want you to think about a person that you know who practices the works of the flesh. Don't say their name out loud. Just think about them. And now think about another person that you know who practices the fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you, who would you rather be in relationship, friendship, and fellowship with? The person who practices the works of the flesh or the person who practices the fruit of the Spirit? And going even further, who would you rather resemble and be like? If you want to reap eternal life, if you do not want to reap corruption, then we must do two things. First, we must not sow to the flesh. We must not practice the works of the flesh. And today, if you know, if the Spirit of God is convicting you, and you know that there are works of the flesh that you are doing regularly, that you're practicing, today I invite you, I plead with you to repent, to turn from your practice of the works of the flesh. Turn from that. There is no way to find uh, relief. I can tell you that you're forgiven in Christ till I'm blue in the face, but until you turn from your sin, you will never find relief. And then, sow to the Spirit. Practice the fruit of the Spirit. And you'll experience not only the sense of God's forgiveness, but you'll experience the fullness of joy that comes from knowing that you're in deep, loving communion with God and with Christ. Friends, this is just another way of saying, which Paul's been saying all throughout Galatians, what it means to crucify the flesh and to walk by the Spirit. This is what it means. So here are, so those are the two exhortations from Paul so far. One, support your pastors. Second, two, uh, so to the spirit, not to the flesh. Let's look at the third and final exhortation. So to doing good. In verses 9 and 10, it says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Apostle Paul applied the principle of sowing and reaping to the work of doing good. As those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as those who live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, we are called as Christians to do good. We're to sow our good deeds in the lives of the people around us. And our text says that and if we don't grow weary and if we don't give up, then in due season, in due time, we will reap. There will be a harvest that will certainly come. Therefore, as God gives us opportunities, we're to do good to everyone, but especially to other Christians, to other believers. So what does it mean to do good? It's not rocket science, right? To do good means to say or to do anything 
whether it's big or small, whether it's public or private, whether it's through formal ministry or through informal ministry, but anything that helps, serves, encourages, comforts, bless, or benefits another person. Doing good is helping other people bear their burdens, whether their burdens are physical, emotional, relational, financial, or spiritual. And doing good can look like a hundred different things, right? Uh, teaching the word of God and sharing the gospel with others is doing good, whether it's as, as a parent or a Sunday school teacher, youth teacher, Bible study leader, or pastor, teaching and sharing the word of God is to do good. Or uh, sharing words of encouragement and hope and affirmation and comfort to someone who's discouraged and hopeless, that is doing good. Uh, counseling and praying with someone who's struggling with a problem, that is doing good. Organizing, leading, and participating in events that blesses others, that blesses our, our community, that is doing good. Packing and delivering food for vulnerable, hungry neighbors, that is doing good. Giving to help relieve the financial burdens of others, that is doing good. There are literally hundreds of ways that we can do good. If you just looked around and opened your eyes to the needs around you, you'll see that there are so many opportunities to do good. But our text tells us two things about doing good. The first is doing good is hard and exhausting, isn't it? You know, when, as we do good, we can easily become weary and discouraged and we can want to give up. And this is especially true when it feels like the good that we do doesn't seem to have an impact. When it seems to make no difference at all, right? I'll be very honest. It's easy to do good. It's easy to sow our good deeds when we feel like lives are changing before our eyes, right? And people are appreciative of all the good that you do. Doing good is easy when it's like that. Easy. But it's hard when it seems like it's not making any kind of difference. The people that I'm doing good for are not appreciative. They're not changing. They're not growing. It seems like it's not making any difference at all. And you just feel like you're spinning your wheels. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy. And that's when you want to give up because you feel like no good is coming out of this anyway. Someone once said this, and I think this is funny. He said, um, Christians frequently act like children in reference to this harvest. They would sow and reap in the same day. I think sometimes we feel that way, right? We, we, we sow and we want to see a harvest like 30 minutes later or a day later, but it, but it just doesn't work that way. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us not to grow weary and to not give up, but to persevere in doing good because if we persevere in doing good in due time, we will reap. And so as God gives us opportunities, look to do good. In your homes, look to do good to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, to your roommates. In your workplace, look to do good for those that you work with or work for. In our church family, look to do good to your brothers and sisters that are part of this church family. In your neighborhood, in your community, or in your other circles of friends, look to do good to those that you interact with. And don't get weary and don't give up. Persevere in doing good. Why? Because, secondly, because doing good will reap a harvest. 
will reap most certainly a harvest. Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't tell us in our text what that harvest is, except he lets us know that there will be a harvest that we will reap. Doing good will always result in a good harvest, even though we may not know what that is, but we can kind of guess. Maybe um, it will be the harvest of someone coming to faith in Christ. Maybe it will be the harvest of someone growing in their faith in Christ. Maybe it will be the harvest of comforting, helping, and ministering to someone in need. Maybe the harvest will be a marriage that is saved that was on the brink of divorce. Maybe the harvest will be helping some places become better and more just places to live. Maybe the harvest will be a heavenly reward reserved in heaven for you. We don't know. But we do know this. Even if in this life you never see the harvest for all the good that you do, you can be sure of this. That on the last day when you see your Savior face to face, the one for whom you did all of your good anyway, when you see him, you'll hear from him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. And if you sow your good deeds in the lives of people, both Christian people and non-Christian people, God has promised that you will reap a beautiful harvest one day. So what? What's our takeaway for today? This weekend, our church did our annual holiday basket ministry. It's one way that we as a church family seek to do good in our community as we provide uh, baskets of food to our vulnerable neighbors right here in Centerville and in Chantilly. And this year, we packed and delivered 450 holiday baskets. That means 450 families in Centerville and in Chantilly have extra food for the holidays. And as we sow this good deed in our community year after year as a church, as we seek to do good for our neighbors, we do so knowing that one day we will reap. Now, we don't know exactly what that harvest will be, but we do know that there will be a harvest. We know that God will use our good deeds not only to bless uh, our neighbors, but to glorify himself. And so as God continues to give us opportunity as a church, We will persevere in doing good in our community, for our community, trusting that God has his perfect timing and perfect plan for all things. And for all of you who participated, whether you donated your money or donated your time to make and pack the holiday baskets, I just want to thank you. Thank you for doing good in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. This new year, It's hard to believe that in two weeks we get to the new year. In 2024, I want to encourage our church family uh, as not only individuals but also as a church as a whole for us to remember this absolute principle of sowing and reaping. Let us sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life. Let us practice the fruit of the Spirit so that we might know the joy and the fullness of communion and fellowship with God, that we might know the glory of being conformed into the image of Christ, which will by definition make us a blessing to others. 
And let's not grow weary in doing good to everyone and especially to other Christians because in due time, we will reap if we do not give up. Now, for those of you that uh, want to learn about more practical ways that you can do good in our community, if you go to our Church Center app, there's a new section uh, titled uh, Local Mercy. And there you can find all sorts of information about different organizations that we partner with who do good in our community. And you can partner with them, whether as an individual, as a family, as a community group, whatever it is. This year, as a church, as individuals, let's seek to do good. Because in due time, if we do not give up, we will reap. So Christ Central family, look for opportunities to do good. In your home, in your workplace, at your school, at our church, in your neighborhood. Look for opportunities to do good because one day... In due time, we will reap. And as Jesus said to us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And one day, when we see Jesus, our Savior, face to face, he will smile and he'll say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. Friends, let's keep our eye on that day as we do good today. Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, I pray for our church as we enter into the new year. Would you so fill us by your spirit as we live by your spirit, as we walk by your spirit, would you cause our church to be a church that sows to the spirit and thus from the spirit reaps eternal life that experiences fullness of joy and love that comes from being in intimate communion and fellowship with you, eternal life that allows us to taste the powers of the world to come, that allows us and empowers us to shine as stars in a dark and crooked night. Oh, Lord Jesus, would our church be a city set on a hill that our light might shine before men for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, would you please rise and respond to worship?